I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, welcome to My Good Bad Brain. It's a podcast about mental health and being a person. And uh, if you dig it and want to support it, you could do that at patreon.com slash mygoodbadbrain or uh, buying stuff at mygoodbadbrain.com. There's shirts and things like that there. And uh, also, you could just leave a nice review. That's so that's so nice and helpful. Okay, see you, well, see you now if you're going to stay. Let's do the theme song. Bye. Welcome to my good bad brain. I'm a normal person, so I'm insane. I've got depression and ADHD, but I'm doing better since I medicated me. I'm still not always sure whether I exist or what being a person even really is. But I figured out a long time ago that being alive is beautiful. Cool. Hi, everybody. Hello. Um, yeah, it's we- it's so weird. It's so easy to hate yourself you know what i mean if it just never goes away really the ease with which you can not like yourself i just was thinking that because i i was just listening to the theme song and i was i like the theme song you know i think uh, people tell me they like the theme song but i'm just you know i hear it right now and there's this kind of like part of me that just goes i fucking hate that That so twee why do i hate myself so much i don't know it's really weird I don't know. There's kind of a thing to just be like a little bit ashamed, I guess, of the things that you like or your own inclinations. I don't know, sometimes I, I think like that just creatively too. Like the things I like to make are, are never the things that I feel like I seek out. You know, like I, I don't know, like I really like writing poems and stuff like that, but I rarely go watch or read poems. I don't know. Even whenever I made music and stuff, it just never sounds like what I like to go listen to. And that's so weird. Like that when I listen back things that I, I make when I want to make them often i feel so cringe about it i don't know what that is and you know, sometimes i get over it and i'm like no it's not cringe i feel good about this it feels earnest but that sort of uh instinct to just not like yourself and the things you do is so weird and uh i i, I don't think it's like a good thing really but it's just a strange i don't know it's fine <laughs> probably not a good thing to like reinforce anyway uh, today, uh, thanks for bearing with me and everything. I, this was a couple weeks ago, this, this live stream. And, uh, just so you know, if you are doing the live streams, they're probably going to be gone for a couple weeks. Uh, just no live stream just cause I gotta, 
do some out of town stuff. But we talked a lot on this episode about anxiety, uh, and and particularly for my own interests about how to try to help uh, be be more helpful to a partner with anxiety, somebody close to you in your life that has anxiety, trying to understand it a little better. And uh, Dr. Nick explains it in some pretty good terms and has some pretty great strategies for dealing with it. You know, I think, you know, I think, I think we take for granted that we all think we know what anxiety is or that we all have it, you know, and just whatever. But someone who really has like anxiety, anxiety, you know, Dr. Nick talks about that. Basically it, it it's a lot, like a trauma response thing. Uh, if I, I might be getting this wrong, but you know, he'll talk about it more in this spot, but that like your, your body basically thinks you're in fight or flight. That's like kind of that your, your anxiety, the response is to something that might not be a fight or flight situation. You're having a fight or flight response, fight, flight, or freeze. And, um, I think truly grokking that, like really internalizing that that's what someone's going through who has it, uh, is really challenging. And then also, I, I, you know, you're going to hear me repeat myself a little if you listen to the app, but uh, I think it was hard for me to understand. Well, okay. This is how my partner described it to me. She, because she is experiencing anxiety and she was, you know, I'm always just trying to be like, you got to you know, do more self-care. You know, you got to work. It's practices. It's, you know, Dr. Nick talks about that in here too, that it's all not going to be an overnight thing. It's not going to be like one epiphany moment to fix whatever mental thing you're trying to work on. It's not just like in a flash, you make a discovery on the couch and you're like, oh, that's what all my pain is about. And then you're done. You know, it's a practice. You have to like practice these skills day in and day out, changing your, your body response to these stimulus of your life that it's hard for you to deal with you know and uh and so that takes like self-care and like the real notions of self-care and um you know when you talk to somebody who has anxiety about it you're just trying to get them to do the self-care it can be very hard i i my partner explained to me that like you know with depression which i'm quite familiar with like you know when you have depression and you don't want to do the things that you enjoy, you know, typically, or the things you love to do. You just don't even want to do those things. She's like, I don't have that. I I want to do these things to take care of myself or to feel better and, and you know, enjoy life and things. I just can't. That there's this weird invisible barrier. And that uh, helped me sort of understand a little bit better some of it. It's still frustrating because I feel like having ADHD exacerbates this thing of like trying to figure out a thing to do to solve every problem but there's not always a thing to do you know um it's sort of like a strange thing of undoing or how do you slow down the the mind that's trying to do that's trying to explain to you all the reasons why you can't do the thing that you want to do or have to do to take care of yourself so anyway that's just the rough i'll just stop talking now because i'll always end up just repeating myself like crazy but I hope you guys are all doing well. I hope you're you're doing all right. And I hope if you have severe anxiety or uh, if you have a partner with anxiety, that some of the stuff that comes up in this conversation with Dr. Nick is helpful to you. Uh, all right, that's it. Thanks a lot. Uh, I'm going to let the, the show run. And um, if you want to support the pod, check us out at patreon.com slash mygoodbedbrain. Or you can go to mygoodbedbrain.com to get gear, clothes, things like that. And um, that's it. You can leave... You can leave uh, Reviews is also very helpful. Good one. You know, good reviews. All right. (laughs) All right. Thanks. Let's do the show. See you guys. Uh, Take it easy. Be well. Self-care. Hydrate. Bye.
I assume a lot of people who were sheltering in place with a loved one, like a partner loved one, learned a lot, you know, like this much time together is, you know, it was a little make or break maybe. And it's been really make, I feel like for us. And that's a wonderful feeling. But uh, it's also been challenging sometimes as we sort of figure out like, I, okay, so here's, here's why I wanted to talk about anxiety today. Um, I, cause I have ADD, like you talked in the past that you don't think anybody, you've never met someone with depression doesn't also seem to have signs of anxiety. And I think that that sounds true. And I think I like took for granted why my experiences of like anxiety and to be like, yeah, I get it. I get anxiety, but I'm not somebody who like nobody would, I don't think anybody would diagnose me as anxiety first, you know, like that you have anxiety. So, uh, I think I have anxious qualities, but the point is in some ways, Ali has like really severe anxiety and I have this pretty bad ADHD and I, I kind of think it creates this like perfect storm sometimes of like, since I have a dopamine uh, deficiency and also with that ADHD has like some like sort of uh, adrenaline deficiencies, like I don't produce as much norepinephrine or whatever, I guess. So you're always seeking out sources of it and I feel comfortable in crisis. I think sometimes this is the impulse behind the doom scrolling. This is the impulse behind uh, risk seeking. This is the impulse behind like finding projects that I hyper focus on that might be semi stressful projects for other people is like that gives me a sense of control and it gives me a locus of focus. (laughs) It gives me, uh, you know, something that takes my energy and I'm doing something, even if it's scary sounding or negative and it has to do with like, doomsday prepping or whatever you know or whatever it is not just that but also i think it leads to a sort of uh i think it's adhd related but also just personally like i feel like i'm constantly making analogies so if i get an idea like i was joking that i only say five things at a time which is feels kind of true that like if i get some new understanding of the world you know this is what makes leftists uh, new left is so insufferable it's like everything is that now you know everything can be reflected in the dialectic and the anti-capitalism and the failures of liberalism, you know? And so I become like really insufferable. And, uh, and just cause I, you see it everywhere. You're like, I see the matrix now. So I got to talk about this all the time, but it's just me like working stuff out and much like I do now. And in general, I mean, granted a podcast is like a fine realm to just talk a lot. Uh, but I, I fire hose because sometimes I just need to hear things out loud. And I, you know, now if you have anxiety, you don't want any of that. You know, none of that helps you. Like as she was describing anxiety to me, and maybe I'll ask you to describe like how anxiety is defined in, you know, from your understanding of it as like, you know, a professional understanding of it. But like, it seems sometimes the things that make me feel more in control, more comforted, accelerate her anxiety to this like crippling place, this like frozen crippling place. So, and then on top of it, you know, part of anxiety is characterized by, uh, like we're, she was doing like the questionnaire, kind of like the depression questionnaire you sent me, the one of like, do you have anxiety and scored like off the charts, you know? EAI. EAI? There are lots of them. But one of them is the Beck anxiety inventory. Okay. Yeah. That's wow. That probably is the one she did. And it's like one of the things on there is like, do you have difficulty doing things that like are self-care or relax? Like just, and, and she's, she's expressed to me in the past this thing that she's like, it's not that she's unhappy. She's happy. She said, like, this is what she said, which I thought was really helpful for me to kind of understand. She was like, you know, if you have depression, 
you don't even want to do the things that feel good for you, you know, like that you don't want to, you don't that like that feeling of just like, you don't want to do anything, especially like the things you enjoy. But that with anxiety, she's like, I want to, I just can't. There's like this weird, intense barrier of, I cannot do a thing that would be good for me or bring me rest or relax or something I'd be failing. And, uh, and when you combine it with like sort of Catholic, whatever messaging about failure, Protestant, whatever you're, you're fuck up, you're fuck up. It's, it becomes this like really challenging feedback loop to help with as a partner or, or an outside force. It feels like, especially, I mean, I'm not trained at all or anything because you're like, it goes like this. It's like, oh, well, all you, you need to actually do some of the practices that help you relax, right? Like you need to do some rest. You need to do some exercise. Okay, well, I literally can't do that. That's the thing I can't get over. And so part eight, step one of failure and helping is you just I just get caught in a feedback loop of just do it. And they're just like, I can't. Yeah. And, and so you're like, oh, why? Okay, we'll just do it. And then there's nothing helpful there. And then the second thing that happens sometimes is uh, added on to that is now the person has failed at trying to not fail and it's this feedback loop of like i'm fucking up again i'm fucking up trying to not fuck up i'm i'm such a failure i can't even get myself out of anxiety by taking care of myself and then it doom spirals into this you know how do you get out of that loop so that's what i was wondering is as a, a loved one especially just selfishly because i care about this person closely and i and i feel like uh, this is the coming clean thing is i i've done a podcast about mental health for a long time granted mostly about my mental health and always through that lens of like what will help me and and you know kind of selfishly and uh, part of it though is i think i got a little bit like yeah i get it i get anxiety but then i realized like i kind of don't and i'm not so good at like I wasn't so good at like listening to that and realizing that and changing my behavior. I would just be like, this is stuff that works for me. You know, the medicine with ADD, you just have to start doing some of the practices, just do the practices. And then, and then they're like, they can't. So, you know, I, I just, I just realized like, damn, uh, from a place of inquisitiveness, then I'm just going to say, I don't fucking know anything. Dr. Nick, if somebody has anxiety really bad in your life, especially as me being a maniac who the opposite of anxiety stuff helps me like as just a total moron whose instincts are the opposite. How do you, what is anxiety and how do you actually help people with it when they're severely experiencing it? I mean, I think so, you know, these are an important questions. I would say the first thing is to kind of like get a working definition of anxiety is that everyone experiences anxiety and, it's totally normal to experience anxiety and that level of anxiety is evolutionarily adaptive without anxiety or the machinery that produces the physiological and psychological kind of effects that we now label anxiety without that machinery, your ancestors would not have been able to survive. So you need anxiety um, within a certain bandwidth. And there, there, there are lots of kind of like um, studies that indicate that, you know, a, Experience of anxiety within a certain bandwidth leads to like improved task performance. And you can relate to that a little bit. Like Absolutely. if you didn't feel any anxiety, wouldn't do well on your tests. And if you feel too much, you also do badly. You well, know, you can see one uh, example, extra example of that. I think that's challenging again for getting out of the loop of it is and reinforced by capitalism in our culture is is like Ali's very successful, very, very hard worker and. For her, for me, whenever I experience anxiety or shame around work or pressure like that, I tend to f- 
shut down and get really fucking resentful. And I'm like, don't fucking do that. To, you know, don't leave me the fuck alone. Like, I'm, I'm not going to do what you say. And I just free like that's my response. Which is not helpful either. I have like, you know, I'm trying to work through that. But uh, for her, it her anxiety does work as a, a, a what do you call it? A horse whip, you know, a a crop you know, kind of like the stick, right? The stick or the the stick or the carrot like she. And I think part of her is really worried that if she ever stops things, if she then like this anxiety has made everything she wanted, you know, that she pursued happen. So you're like. Especially when you're like, well, yeah, you are hard. like, you know, what I mean, I think there's a, a coincide of like, it might be unpleasant, but it also feels like a superpower. Like it's their it's their thing. That I mean, makes if them I would stop experiencing this, I would never get it back and fail. Yes, I would never is, be able the, to work again. Yes. Which is the voice of anxiety. So, I mean, here, here's the thing. So, you know, just to start from the, the kind of baseline that this is a normal state everyone feels to some greater or lesser degree. It exists on kind of the normal curve of human behavioral repertoire, but that everyone experiences anxiety and it's a normal thing to experience. If we think about it like from an evolutionary perspective, what's the function of anxiety in the organism? And the function is to motivate behavior. The function of anxiety is to motivate behavior. Uh, typically, um, you know, anxiety arises so that you can get activated to deal with a short-term crisis or stressor. Uh, that's really where anxiety shines as a motivator, right? If you're like worrying about something, well, you're starting, your body's starting to have like kind of a, um, like a fight, flight, or freeze response to that thing. It lets you know, hey, this is something important that I need to deal with now. In our evolutionary past, you would just deal with it now. You know, like, oh, shit, I don't have enough food in the you know, food locker for today. I'm starting to feel anxious. I better go out and get some. Right? Or I'm starting to feel anxious that, you know, I saw this tribe over the hill and they don't look friendly. I better go check it out. Right. Those are kind of like immediate things that anxiety gets you to do. The problem is in our contemporary society, we don't have that many like immediate challenges. I mean, certainly we some of us do and, and we do have those. We also have these like complex lower like stakes in terms of the physical danger effect that produce the same response. So like an awkward interaction with a colleague over email produces the same response that our ancestors felt when they didn't have enough food to feed their dependents you know, that day. And one of them can be dealt with by going out and getting the fucking food. And the other is like, I don't really know what the fuck to do. Send another email. Don't send one. I don't know. The problem is this machinery that adapted to solve problems in a certain set of circumstances is now applied to a t radically different set of circumstances that it's just not that great at helping us solve. That's, I think, one way of understanding anxiety is that it motivates us to engage in behavior. And um, the problem is now it's been transposed into this new kind of framework. And it's just not as clear, you know, what types of behaviors we should do to regulate that anxiety, especially when it's like, general anxiety about the state of the world. I mean, our ancestors were not worried about that. Mm -hmm. you know? They were, they had like a uh, kind of framework to make sense of it. You know? yeah. We just don't have that now. So, you know, so, okay. So that's kind of maybe our baseline. And then, you know, there are some of tools you can use physiologically to regulate anxiety, like control over attention. Because anxiety, really what it does is like, fuck, from your mind and 
force your attention onto those thoughts, which then creates what you describe as like the doom spiral, right? Well, I think these thoughts, they command my attention, they produce a physiological reaction, which gives rise to more of these thoughts, which commands more of my attention, and now we're in the spiral. Mm -hmm. Part of it is regulating your attention, getting control over your attention, not letting uh, or practicing techniques that allow you to gain control over attention so that these spontaneous anxiety-provoking thoughts don't effortlessly command your attention. Because if you break that initial link, then the whole spiral dissipates. The best way to gain control over your attention, and what I mean by that is to observe and describe Mm -hmm. your attention is focused on and then redirect it onto something you choose to focus on. Best way to do that is mindfulness. Practice mindfulness. There's nothing better with less side effects than mindfulness practice to gain control over your attention. Of course, people who are anxious and do experience this kind of spontaneous, um, like strong, spontaneous thoughts that then demand their attention. Those are precisely the people who say, well, I'm not good at mindfulness. Of course not. It's precisely the opposite of what's bothering you. Of course you're not good at it. It's a set of skills that have to be practiced. Um, And then the other piece is to do physiological relaxation exercises, which basically is like a low power, uh, like low power, less quick way of getting the same benefit as like a benzodiazepine or anxiety medication, right? Which kind of like lowers your resting anxiety threshold. And that's things like progressive muscle relaxation, intense exercise, um, things that relax your body physiologically, breathing. Those tools, um, the ability to control, get control, not over your thoughts, but over your attention, mm. physiologically regulate. Uh, those are the two kind of pronged approach to managing anxiety. And then there's some more like CBT, traditional CBT structures, which some anxious people who are anxious really like because it kind of plays into their like high cognitive performance where you do the... You, know, you examine the thought, you examine the emote, you, you label and define the intensity of the emotion you feel as a result, you collect evidence for the thought, you re-rate how much you believe the thought, you re-rate how much you're feeling the emotion. That can help. Um, What's a, a good intro to that mindfulness stuff if you're trying to, I mean, because one, one thing also, like phys- that's, that's the other half of this question is... Um, you know the so what if what if you know what if you're inside you're like i know i if i went for a run for i would feel better and things like that but i can't i just can't an hour spent out running and exercising is an hour i'm not doing this work i'm not answering these emails there's a thousand emails in my inbox yeah. somebody's gonna be mad at me on twitter or whatever you know like there's sure. so, so what i do think you do? The, the key, yeah the key thing is to of course the person experiences it as i can't right experience they truly do experience it that way and of course we know that that's not a precise description of what's happening because if one of if someone else were to take control over that body and inhabit that brain they could do it so it's not a physiological limitation Mm -hmm. it's a cognitive limitation experienced as a physiological limitation which is so unpleasant and upsetting it's probably invalidating even to hear my of it like that I mean, sucks because i'm it's... just gonna pause you there it's so fun i don't think no one said that but 
these responses in the chat from a few people. One person said, uh, I feel a physical barrier that I can't break down to allow me to pursue my desires, no matter how much I want to. And someone else said, I'd like to add, I have struggled with intense anxiety and mindfulness is very difficult for me. I know it's something I need to do, but my anxiety feels so real for me that mindfulness feels useless. Yes, I think people are kind of having that feeling. Yeah, of course. I would get away from thinking about it as real or not real. Of course it's real. I mean, real in what sense? It's something that you're experiencing, you know, so in that sense, it's real. And that's really the only meaningful definition, you know, I would just abandon that. I would just say, this is the problem that you're experiencing. And now we have to go to problem solving, right? And any move in your mind to reify the, to yeah, but like, mm. there's a kind of um, assumption in cybernetics that is, you should not understand what things are based on what people tell you they are or what they're for. You should understand what things are based on what they do. So uh-huh. the function of a system is what it does, not what it's supposed to do. Okay. Great. It's like an analogous to this like policing system. I don't care what you tell me the system of policing is supposed to do. What it does is incarcerate black people at a disproportionate rate right. for dumb bullshit. Damn. That's, that's what it is. It's not something else that has this you know, secondary effect. That's the effect. That's what it does. That's what it is. Okay. So it's the same with anxiety. You don't need to like, Know, get into the philosophy of anxiety because the effect of that is to stop you from engaging in behaviors that you want to engage in. If you spend time thinking about investigating the mystery of anxiety, judge for yourself. I mean, is the effect of that helping you move closer to your goals or is it not? And if it's not, then that's all we need to know about the function of that. It's not helping you get anywhere closer to where you want to be. So a couple of like tricks you know, there, and also just if we're going to go into the brain science a little bit, what anxiety really is, is like a very quick oscillation. You can understand it as a very quick oscillation back and forth between alternatives that cert, that has the function of producing paralysis. The unceasing if, if, yeah, but, yeah, mm-hmm. but. Well, if I do this, but then this, but if I do that, then, then this. And it becomes this um, paralysis by analysis, yes. basically. That's kind of paralysis by analysis is like, happens when smart people are really anxious yes so um you need to just eliminate that um and you know it's not going to be easy because you you know think how long you've been anxious for how long you've defined yourself as anxious you have been rehearsing those cognitive strategies for that length of time so if you became aware of your anxiety like in grade school and now you're 30 You've been rehearsing anxiety for 20 years. You've been practicing this strategy and creating neural pathways 20 years. So it's not going to be easy to get rid of. It's certainly possible to do. And I've witnessed people do it. So I know it's possible. It's just very hard. Mm. Um, But one of the things, you know, could be mindfulness or, you know, if you just hate mindfulness, do things you hate because it's really hard to motivate yourself or or start the habit of doing things you hate. You got to find another uh, mechanism for controlling attention, for increasing your ability to control your own attention without getting distracted. I think mindfulness is the best. Um, it's hard. And then there are some other kind of like cognitive and rhetorical strategies, like eliminate the "I need to" from your vocabulary. Don't say you need to do something because what happens? It just creates pressure to do it. And I know for myself, when I say I need to do something, the odds of me doing it are very low. Make a plan of when you're going to do it. 
just say, I'm going to do it. Rather than me saying today, which I've already done, I need to read this chapter to prepare for my lecture. What's going to happen is after I make breakfast, I'm going to read the chapter. That's what's going to happen immediately after I eat breakfast. I'm going to read the chapter. Not I need to read it, because so what? I am going to read it at that time. Yeah. The that, scheduling does seem to be one of the things that um, helps uh, Allie's anxiety when I observe. That does seem to be an effective strategy of like just ba- just setting out a blueprint, I guess, to say, you know, that, which sounds like what you're saying. Like, you know, you, this is going to happen at this time. It's not going to be just a pile of amorphous things you uh, no one could finish in a day. And you just let bury you because you can't believe how much you're screwing up. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, though, is I think people think that they're going to somehow think their way out of their anxiety and feel relief before engaging in a particular task. And you won't. You, ha- you also have to abandon that. You're not going to get to a place where you feel good about your choice. So, for example, that dilemma that you identify where it's like, I know I should go for a run. But then I'm, that's an hour I'm not working and people are going to be upset and I'm not like getting the work I need to do done. You're not going to feel good about your choice there. Right. You're going to experience discomfort no matter which one you choose. You have to abandon the idea that the right choice is the one that makes me feel less anxiety. That's not the case. You just have to, in accordance with your values that you have thought about before, make a decision and then do it. And then unmindful of the inevitable intruding thoughts that about you and what if you you have to return your attention again and again to the present moment probably a hundred times in a minute those yeah but thoughts intrude yeah so it's it's just this like constant um shifting your your prior shifting your attention away consciously of saying like choosing a different voice to listen to kind of a thing yeah i mean i think putting it back on the present moment is the best like on your five senses um you know, and the first few times you do that it's going to be like exhausting mentally to do that um, but then it will become easier because it's a skill that you're practicing you're like greasing the groove as pavel Atsulis yeah. describes it let me just say also one one other like approach that I think is a really good evidence based therapeutic approach for anxiety, and that is acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, because I think you know one issue with people who are both intelligent, high achievers, and anxious is that they're so aware of their they're kind of hyper aware of their own internal anxiety process they're such keen observers of that that it's very difficult for them to experience any short-term symptom relief Mm. and because they're as soon as it starts they recognize it you know they're like good internal self-monitors in that way so what acceptance and commitment therapy is about is it's not about symptom reduction it's about living in accordance with your goals and values in spite of experiencing your symptoms. Mm-hmm. And so I think that approach can be, um, people do experience symptom relief using that approach. You can kind of free yourself of the need to test the success of interventions based on your symptom experience. When you use acceptance and commitment therapy, because really what it's about is helping you 
live in accordance with your values and goals. And other than being like, well, fuck, this isn't working to reduce my experience of my anxiety. I think that that can be like a useful shift cognitively and it can be a very useful approach to dealing with uh, anxiety also. Acceptance segment therapy, ACT. Um, they don't call it ACT, though. You got to call it ACT. They're very sensitive about right. the acronym. That, so you're saying it's it's instead of focusing on stopping the symptoms, it's saying like, I experienced this. I want to behave differently anyway. Yeah, it, the assumption is, okay, given that you experienced these symptoms, how can we help you to do this thing that you want to do? Got it. Yeah, that's cool. That sounds... Do you do those people like experience a reduction of symptoms over time, or do you just like? Yes, they do. They do. And that's, yeah, eventually people do experience that symptom reduction. Um, I mean, I think that's just the, don't target it first. Yeah, that's the frustrating catch twenty two of a lot of mental health benefiting sort of self care things is like. I know that getting regular exercise will help me feel better. I just can't fucking do that because of the thing I'm trying to fix with the exercise. It stops me from doing that, you know? Right. right. And instead of kind of getting into the spiral of, well, is this working? Is it not? I still feel anxious. Is it a waste of time? Should I try something else? Is this the person for me? Instead of all of that stuff, they are focusing on helping you to live in accordance with your values. So first clarifying what the values are. And then it's a bunch of experiential interventions um, to help you like help you have the experience of thoughts and emotions as transitory, spontaneous things rather than like intense real things that are happening to you. I mean, they are intense real things happening to you, but they're also spontaneous and transitory. And so we can acknowledge their importance while at the same time acknowledging that they are part of an unceasing stream of transitory experiences that characterize your existence. Yes. Um, okay. One person act uh, asked, is there a good starting point for ACT if you're not currently seeing a therapist? Is there like a research yeah, there's a acceptance and commitment therapy workbook. I would just get an ACT workbook. Steve Hayes is the guy that developed ACT. There's lots and lots of research. He's a, he's a pretty prolific writer and researcher. Um, he's out of uh, University of Nevada, Reno, actually, his team. So yeah, I would start, there's an acceptance and commitment therapy workbook. I would start with that. You can probably get it on Amazon. I would stay away from his like technical theoretical writing. Frankly, I find it unintelligible. There's like a whole like neuro-linguistic theory of underlies act. And I, I honestly, I've read it and I just don't find it that useful or interesting. I find it very, very difficult to understand and long. So I, I would stay away from that. Um, but I don't really need that because the, there are plenty of um, like randomized control trials that demonstrate the effectiveness of act. So I'll just get the workbook. Um and I know we're running over, but I just wanted to, so we're not going to get to daddy issues today. I'm sorry. Have a good, good Father's Day, everyone. But what I did want to ask, I did want to ask uh, again, just like if, yeah, if you have, is there something as a, a friend or a loved one or a lover of somebody who uh, has anxiety or is experiencing anxiety, what are good ways to help that aren't just uh, yelling at them for having anxiety? Yeah. Well, okay. So here's the thing also when it comes to anxiety is you are not going to fix someone else's problem with anxiety and they shouldn't expect you to fix that. No, it's no. not. I know, I know you guys aren't doing that, but that's not, 
going to happen. Right. So, and I think the thing is you have to, what's definitely not effective is for you to try to help have it not work. And then you get frustrated because that makes everything worse. Yeah. So you guys, you, not you two in particular, but maybe I do that. General I'll people need shit. to do that. Yeah, people need to decide uh, what they are going to do in advance when these things arise. When when people are feeling relatively calm, you need to troubleshoot this discussion. So, and you know, partner A is feeling anxious, and they share that with partner B. What is their goal in sharing that first? They need to be really honest with themselves about what their goal is. And they need to figure out together, okay, well, how are we going to handle this? Am I just going to give you pure validation? Or I just give you a hug, or am I not in a place where I can do that without wanting to problem solve and feel frustrated? People have to start with radical genuineness, mm. a low stakes period of time, and figure out what is each person really after, and are we being honest about that, and what is each person actually giving and getting? Because that's that's what you got to start with. Okay. You you know maybe like you know what. I'm feeling a certain type of way. I just actually can't give you that validation. I'm not at a place in my development where I can do that. And maybe the other person's like, you know what? I keep on asking for help, but what I really want is validation, not problem solving. Mm. To start with that kind of level of honesty. Other part is people who have a lot of anxiety know that you never think yourself out of it. I mean, when, when have you thought yourself out of your anxiety? It doesn't work. So you have to leverage spontaneity to be your ally. If you're like, you know what, I really should call this person. And then you start to go into the pros and cons and all this fucking shit. Don't give yourself the opportunity to do that. As soon as the idea of calling them enters your mind, hit fucking call on the phone. Mm-hmm. Don't take more than five seconds in your decision-making process. If it's something that you feel you want to do, but that's it's been difficult for you. Like I should really go for a run. Okay. Put your shoes on right fucking now. Don't think about it. Don't, Give your anxiety a chance to go into the pros and cons. As soon as that enters your mind spontaneously, just immediately do that thing. Mm. That's great. That that can be another, uh, I really need to sit down and read. Okay, just fucking sit down and do it. Don't give your frontal cortex the ability to sabotage that little gift of spontaneity you just got. Yeah, because I feel like the the sabotage happens pretty rapidly where they go and like... You have uh, five second window when you can leverage that spontaneity, just do it. But once the momentum starts, like once you're walking to go put on your shoe or you're tying on the shoe and then you're like, yeah, but it's like, shut the fuck up. I'm doing it. The shoes are already on. Yeah. Because I think what happens, I observe, I mean, I experienced this as well, but is because the paralysis by analysis or uh, to me, just paralysis by, um, I don't know. Yeah. Fucking doom spiral of like a million things that are burying you. And so you just want to lay on the carpet is like, uh, I literally just have to go. The only thing that helps is if I just do one, do do one that pops into my head. Cause otherwise what happens is, uh, the sunk cost fallacy starts happening where you're like, uh, Oh, well I can't go do the, if I do that email, then there's the four emails from yesterday that I should have done first. I should do, you know what I mean? Like a lot of times I like, won't let myself, I do this with writing. Like I have a, a writing project. I have like a screenplay or whatever that like I haven't started seven other ideas because I can't till I finish that one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. instead of just spontaneous, that's really kind of helpful. I think probably for anybody to hear just to just, just do it. Just do the one now. And, and you know, yeah. I mean, the thing is like, again, no one has six, 
Think to yourself and just be honest. Have you ever thought your way out of the anxiety spiral and <laughs> felt relief? Have you ever successfully thought your way out and experienced, okay, I feel relief now from that yeah. thinking spiral? Have you? Yeah, it got the work done. I figured it all out. I don't feel bad anymore. Just because I sat exactly. here and thought about it. I got <laughs> that anxiety-free truth. Like, you never did that. Just got exhausted. That's Just fucking really good. immediately do the thing and tell your brain to shut up and just immediately do the thing. Brain that. works for you, man. Your brain works for you. Stop. It's like having an annoying employee. Sometimes, like, just shut up. They're good. It's great for them to do the exhaustive work and provide all the details and have like a super like, detailed spreadsheet. You need that's awesome to have that employee, but like they don't get to. They're not the CEO, you know. Yeah, someone said, "Damn, shots fired, Doctor Nick," in the fucking chat. Had a lot of coffee today, guys. That's <laughs> really good. Um, someone said earlier, um, "Can you f- also flip that for the folks who experience the anxiety?" And talk about how to tell the people in your life what you're experiencing, what you need from them, which you kind of touched on earlier. But I just wanted to touch back on that, that like honesty thing. Yeah, you have to be honest. So if what you really want is validation, do not ask for problem solving because you got you're setting them up and you're setting yourself up to be unhappy. Mm-hmm. If you tr- truly just want validation, just ask for validation. Like just. Coach them on what validation means. Like fucking tell right. them, hey, this is what I want from you. I want you to like soothe me. That's what I want. Okay. And tell them how to do that because they may not know how. I didn't. I definitely still don't. It's funny because you're saying that. And I think sometimes literally someone anonymous who is not involved. I have no idea who might be like uh, literally saying, I just need validation. I just need you to listen to me. And I'm just like, nah, we're fucking problem solving, baby. What do we got here? Do this, do that, do this, do uh, that. And then if she doesn't do it. I'm like. Why are you? Why aren't you? Why are you f- fucking being mean to me by not trying my strategies? You're not letting me fix you. What the fuck is wrong? Why are you doing this to me? And then I'm because I'm a bad person. So that's uh, you know, that's how our uh, no, I know, but th- that is I do think that's part of how our dynamic and old patterns of like codependency, which we got, I've gotten a lot better at, but still like you know the entanglement of your identity with somebody else's, where I'm like suddenly like why aren't you letting me fucking help? You're being obstinate about this. You obviously don't want to fix this. It's really unhelpful. And uh, and then I think because it's my ADD thing and my hyper focus and a project like helps me, you know, so like. Yeah. I just try to do all those things. I don't know. You know that thing? There's a thing in love languages where they say like learning the love languages of someone else. There's just the concept in there of like realizing that we tend to love people the way we wish we were loved, not the way that they want to be loved. And how you have to like learn that is um, really hard, but also I think applies to like a lot of things. It truly is so hard to get out of my understanding of what works for me and try to not apply that unless it's evident that that person has the same strategies that work for them, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think that's, you know, to answer that question, I think people have to be very honest with themselves about what they want. Have to decide if the person they're asking or whatever from knows how to do that and is willing to do that. Mm. And they know how to do that. And that conversation needs to happen, not in a crisis. It needs to happen when both people are very calm. That's when that conversation needs to happen. Um, Ronan added, um, uh, I have a friend who, when you start to vent to him, he asks, do you want me to distract you from the problem or you don't want me to help? And I think that's a helpful thing to ask. And it does seem helpful. 
Totally. So I think you got to be honest with yourself about that. And then the other thing is if you if you if you're actually asking for help and advice, you must be willing to try what's offered. That's just another thing. Like don't ask for help if you're not willing to try the thing that is offered. If you are in a place where, you know, like fuck, man, just I'm you know what the place I'm in right now is just like coming up with reasons not to do the thing you suggest. Don't ask for help in that place cuz you're just going to have the effect of frustrating yourself and the other person. Yes. That's really interesting. But that does it's really helpful to have that first step of honesty to check in and be like, what do you want from me or what do, would you like what would be helpful? Because yeah, cuz maybe we could bypass that whole process of uh the the feeling that uh the anxiety is like pulling you in now too and you've got to, and now 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 I feel like an idiot because it's like I guess none of my strategies are helpful or possible. Oh, I'm so yeah, fucking and- useless. I mean, here's the other thing. Like, when you are caught in that cognitive loop of anxiety, doing something with your body that's different, almost anything, is going to help break you out of that loop. I mean, literally, if you just go on music loud and jump up and down 30 times, you're going to experience a, a difference. Cool. It will. It's because it, it's like a it's like a somatic like loop break or something. Like you're doing a thing that just stops your. Your brain and body are forced to do something else. You're jumping up and down 30 times while blasting fucking Britney Spears. I mean, you're you're going to – the inputs into your brain and then the associated physiological outputs are different enough that your experience of your anxiety, I guarantee you, will change after two minutes of jumping up and down and blasting Britney Spears. It just will. You're going to ask for help if someone gives you a suggestion, even if it's that dumb – must be willing to try the suggestion. Otherwise, don't ask for help from that person. That's good. That's very good. Oh, Erica said, uh, pl- sorry, sometimes I'm good at being anonymous and then I fuck it up sometimes. But I think this group's all cool about it. These are all people have been around. Splashing cold water on my face or taking a shower really helps when the spiral gets going. Yes, definitely. That's a great distress tolerance skill. It'll activate the dive reflex, which sucks all of the blood out of your brain and puts it in your organs to keep you warm. And that stops the kind of like, up subroutine of anxiety in the prefrontal cortex also. Yeah. Face, even the wrists, if you run cold, safely cold water under, uh, over your wrist, that'll activate the dive reflex head in a bucket of water, cold shower, all that stuff works. Wow. Great. That really does work, huh? That's so interesting. Oh, yeah. What does dive stand for? Literally, the dive reflex of when you go underwater to keep oh. your body warm, your organs warm, your, your body pulls the blood and circulates it around your oh. organs, which takes it out of the brain. That's great. Okay, well, uh, oh, let's wrap it up. Thank you so much. That's such useful stuff. I uh, Happy Father's Day to everyone. Uh, I feel like if you got dad issues, embrace them. Who fucking cares? You know, just, <laughs> we, you know, patriarchy is an issue. Um I am doing I'm I'm excited. Uh my friends and I are trying a social distanced version of none of us have kids, but we all feel like dads. So we're gonna smoke cigars and and grill things. It's gonna be stupid. Uh but I'm that. looking forward to it. Yeah. I know, me too, me too. We have to come out next time. Uh but anyway, so I guess you know, have a good Father's Day if you you know, have fathers in your life or not or you know, whatever. And uh dude, Dr. Nick, thanks. This was a really great one. Really useful shit. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Dad stuff is. I did want to get into it, kind of, because I think we all have it, and I. Uh, it's rough. Do it next week. It's weird. Yeah, maybe we'll do it. We'll do like a delayed version of it because 
it's worth talking about. It always like fucks me up, you know? Sure. Me too. All right. Uh, all right. Love you guys. Thank you guys so, so much. Um, <laughs> Allie said invoice us doc. It's <laughs> <laughs> really fucking funny. Um, all right. All right. You guys are the best. That was a good one. And I don't know. Thanks for going over. Sorry for the, the, the little mess up in the middle. All right. Talk to you guys soon. I'm going to end the stream now. All right. Love, love you. Be well. Hydrate. Guys. Bye. Hi. Okay. Thanks for listening. So this is uh, a good bad brain. It's a production of Mind Jam Media, and uh, you know, check us out at Patreon.com/slash My Good Bad Brain or www.mygoodbadbrain.com if you want to support the pod. And uh, that's it. See you guys. Well, not this Sunday, but usually on Sundays at 10 a.m. And uh, just take care, self-care, hydrate, be well. Send questions to mygoodbadbrain at gmail.com. You know, take it easy. All right. See ya. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.